Patriarchy needs women to be separate from each other in order for it to survive. Patriarchy instills in men the bonds of brotherhood, the idea that men need to have each other's backs, that men need to circle the wagons, that you don't diss the boys, that you don't dog the boys, that you don't like violate the bro code. All of this stuff, men have been indoctrinated and trained from birth basically to rely on other men and to fundamentally pledge allegiance to other men because this is them supporting and upholding patriarchy. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Nasty Woman Club. I am your host Demi Lynch. This week's guest for the show really needs no introduction. She is a role model of mine. She is an icon. She is Clementine Ford. I have adored this woman for many years now, and I'm so happy and so glad to have her on the podcast. On today's episode, we spoke about, actually ranted, more like it, we ranted about all things to do with toxic masculinity and how it plays a huge part in pop culture. We spoke about the patriarchy, and of course, we dissed the US president because, you know, why not? I feel so grateful to be able to speak to Clementine Ford, and I really hope you all enjoy this chat that we had where we go on many rants and many tangents. This is Clementine Ford. Hey! Hey there. How are you going with lockdowns, my dear? I mean, it's actually, it's weird because it's not too different from what I've been doing for the last sort of since March, but with the exception of a break in the middle when um, my son went back to childcare for a bit. Uh, And then when the numbers started getting bad again, probably about six weeks ago, I pulled him out. Oh no, even longer than that, actually. Maybe it was about six weeks ago. Who knows what time is anymore? (laughs) Whatever month it is now. (laughs) Yeah. I pulled him out of childcare again. So actually we've been the stage four does not really impact on our day-to-day existence in any way because it's exactly the same as what we were doing before anyway. Yeah. But the additional emotional weight of it, I think, is quite intense for all of us because regardless of whether or not my life has changed much, the knowledge that I can't do any of those things is quite intense. And also how long are we going to be doing it for? Yeah, exactly. Because they say six weeks, but then again, you guys were put on um, the previous stage lockdowns and that was, you were like halfway through it or something. And then they put this this next level in. I do understand why we've gone into stage four Mm. because the numbers, uh, you know, have been obviously much worse than anywhere else in the country. At the same time, I'm looking for the silver linings. The daily um, numbers are sort of staying the same for the meantime. The meanwhile, which indicates to me that at least they're not exponentially exploding. Yeah. And also I'm reminding myself that, you know, it was 450 um, cases today, but those would have been people probably who tested last week before mm. the shutdown happened, before stage four happened. So with any luck, hopefully in a week or in two weeks, we'll see a dramatic drop and we'll see the increase. It will see the impact of, you know, all of these measures. I think that, if we don't see that, that's going to be the the mental stress that kind of breaks everyone. Yeah, that that's going to be the disheartening thing. But at least whenever I feel down about what's happening with the pandemic, I just think, okay, at least I'm not in America right now. At least I don't have a yeah. leader that's just sitting around or just playing golf and not doing anything at all. So 
that's one or just ignoring yeah just just pretending that it's not that big a deal or just Mm. gaslighting the entire country (laughs) yes or just saying oh it is what it is just 1000 people dying a day is what it is yeah did you see that interview with him and uh jonathan from axios I'm so in love with Jonathan right now. Oh my God. Like those faces and the way he just says like, oh, you can't do that. That doesn't make sense. Just, I love him so much now. (laughs) Like you could not script a better satirical representation of, of an incompetent government than that. Yeah. It just felt like an SNL skit. I was just like, what am I watching right now? Is this Alec Baldwin doing Donald Trump right now? What am I watching? (laughs) for like a proper interview. Yeah. That just, it made my day. Absolutely. It totally felt like a scene from Veep. Yes, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) So I have to say, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, especially with everything going on in in particular Melbourne right now. I really appreciate it. And the reason I actually decided to bring you onto the show at this particular time, it was around June or July, I finished your book, Boys Will Be Boys. And the reason why that's such a big deal is because I'm normally a big reader, but for the past three years, I have not been able to finish a single book. I've been dealing with a lot of mental health issues and I, I just haven't been able to like finish a book, even though it's a big hobby of mine. So yours was the first book I've been able to properly finish in three years. So big thank you for that. I feel completely honored and humbled by that. Thank you so much. I'm very glad that my book was the one that, you know, you were able to, that fed you enough that you were able to keep going with it. And also kudos, because it's a pretty hard book to read, you know, if you're struggling with mental health issues, which isn't to say that people shouldn't read it. It's very important. Yes. Yes. Very important. As soon as I finish it, I'm just like, yep. All right. I got to finally have Clementine on the podcast to talk about good old toxic masculinity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk about that for hours. So, Oh yes. <laughs> so for our, for the listeners out there that don't know the definition of toxic masculinity, would you be able to try to sum up very hard to sum up toxic masculinity, but try and sum up exactly what does it mean and why is it negatively affecting women? Okay. Well, there's a few things in that question. And the first thing is briefly that people make the mistake of hearing a phrase like toxic masculinity. And unless they have uh, begun the process or are well along the process of unlearning everything that it is patriarchy teaches us about smoothing and soothing and, uh, indulging male egos, their automatic impulse might be to feel ouchy, toxic masculinity. Why are you being so mean to men? But you need to understand that toxic masculinity, saying that masculinity can be toxic and can be exercised and wielded in toxic ways is not the same as saying that all masculinity is toxic. Of course, not all masculinity is toxic. Masculinity cannot be in and of itself a toxic thing because for the most part, it's socialized. So socialized masculinity has, or the socialization of masculinity has been imbued with toxic values. Some of those toxic values harm and impact women primarily, and some of them harm and impact men. It is toxic masculinity to suggest that uh, a woman 
was asking for it if she was dressed in a particular way and she was sexually assaulted. It's removing, for a start, removing responsibility from the perpetrator of that crime and that violence and placing it onto women. And it's suggesting that men cannot help themselves if they respond to the sight of a woman in a short skirt. That's a very clear and simple example that a lot of people would understand. That any time they hear the phrase used, well, what did she expect? That is saying that is invoking toxic masculinity. It's saying that masculinity cannot help itself. That's toxic. It's also toxic masculinity for men to be so afraid of seeking help for their mental health issues that they won't go to the doctor. People talk about the high rate of uh, suicide in men. And of course, this is a tragic scenario that we need to address as a society and that we actually are trying to address and that feminists are trying to address by having men unpack what it is they've learned about masculinity and stoicism. But it is toxic masculinity to suggest that it's weak for men to seek help for these issues. And that weakness and that inability to be held and be guided through the, the trauma and the pain that they're suffering and that this may lead them to self-harm in really permanent ways, that's toxic masculinity. That's a function of toxic masculinity. So to suggest or to, to speak about toxic masculinity as a force that delivers harm to all people is accurate. It's not accurate to say that the use of a phrase like toxic masculinity is really just about man-hating because the reason that people focus on toxic masculinity is because they recognize the, the existence of positive, healthy masculinity and they would like that to be applied to all people. Because that is something that you definitely get DMs about from some of your haters or trolls, as some people like to use, I call them bullies, that they say that you're a man-hater but the thing is, they obviously haven't read your book because obviously they don't know that, yeah, it actually affects men and women. Because does it get really tiresome having to hear all the time saying like, oh, but not all men do this. Not all men are like that, though. You're saying all men. How does that get tiring? Well, of course it's tiring because not only is it, is it repeated despite every single thing I've written about the topic, but it's tedious. It's a tedious distraction and derailment from the issue at hand. People should not respond to listening to the litany of crimes that men as a class of people have executed against women and children and against other men over millennia of history. They should not listen to that and recognize the truth and the reality of that. And their first response be, well, why do you hate men? I mean, there was, I had Selma Elwadani on my podcast last week and she eloquently summed it up by saying that the question should not be, why do you hate men? The question should be, how can you stop hating men? The fact is that women don't hate men and, and we shouldn't have to provide this disclaimer every time we talk about the great harm that, that men throughout the years have done to us, have done to our sisters, have, have exercised as a class of people and as individuals. We shouldn't have to provide a disclaimer to that. It should be enough for people to listen to that and go, isn't it fucking awful what some of those men have done to you and what society as a whole empowers and emboldens men to do without consequence? Isn't that terrible? And yet still, the question that is always thrown back in our face is, well, why do you hate men? Or, well, don't, don't say all men. I mean, I've never said all men. I talk about men as a class of people or I talk about individuals. If you're inferring that I mean all men, that says more about you and what your view of men is than it does about mine. So we shouldn't have to provide those disclaimers. But the reason we are called on to provide those disclaimers constantly is for two reasons. One is that men 
who insist that we provide those disclaimers want to be given an excuse not to involve themselves in the problem and in the solution. They want to be told, well, of course, I know it's not you who's doing these things and therefore they can walk away. They can say, well, I've read it. I've been given my excuse and now I don't have to actually be, in, be a participant in this conversation at all. They may also be wanting to be excused or absolved of things they know they've done to women in the past. And that may not be outright raping them, but it may be groping them in a, in a bar. It may be making sexist jokes about them at work. It may be not speaking up when the men that they know talk about sexually violating women and frame it as a joke. They know that they've witnessed these things at the very least, if not participated in them in some way. And they don't like to be reminded of it. So they insist that you excuse them from the conversation so that they, they don't have to to actually address what it is that they've done or their, their place in the system. The other reason that people insist that you say not all men is so they can, uh, they can go on pretending that this is a marginal um, percentage of people who perpetrate uh, the broad spectrum of sexism and misogyny and violence against women throughout the world that actually we can say, well, it's it, most men are decent and good and kind and would never hurt any women ever. I mean, how many times have you heard that? I'm sorry. When did they do the study on that? Who says, who says that that's true? Because every single fucking woman I know has had an experience of a man, at least one man, if not multiple men transgressing her boundaries in some way. And and sometimes in the most violent of ways. We've all had that experience and pretty much it's been from men that we know. So who are all of these men who are decent and good and kind and would never stand by when women are being hurt? Because actually I see no evidence of that. I see a lot of evidence of men making excuses for other men or derailing the conversation or suggesting that when women share our testimonies of these experiences and of this violence, that somehow we're making it up or we're overreacting or we're imagining it or if they can't get away with saying any of those things, that our fundamental failure is that we didn't excuse them at the, at the top of the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. And the thing is, if they're all about numbers and statistics, have they not looked at the statistics of, say, femicide in Turkey, Mexico, or looked at the high rate of women being killed in domestic violence from this year? I mean, so many women have been killed, and plus so many women are probably experiencing more domestic violence because of lockdowns. This is the harsh reality and it is the reality that most people do not want to address. And I understand why they don't want to address it because to address it means that we have to fundamentally up, you know, fundamentally unpack and overturn everything that we understand about the world that we live in and everything that we recognize about the structural power of the world that we live in and who gets to hold that structural power. And that is a big challenge and people don't want to actually confront it. But the reality is that the most dangerous predator, the most dangerous risk to women and children on this planet are fucking men. And that doesn't mean that you can't love individual men. In fact, women who understand, even, even fucking self-aware, educated on this issue, feminists like me, understand that there is a difference between recognizing that and casting all men out. We choose to love men every day. We choose to try and see the good in men every day. We choose to live amongst men every day. And why? Why do we do that? Because we fundamentally, as Andrea Dworkin said, we fundamentally believe in their humanity despite all evidence to the contrary. Men are the biggest risk to us and to our health and to our safety and to our, our well-being. And yet 
we choose to see the good in them and they can't even see for a single second the fucking humanity in us for doing so. I mean, like, yeah, they need to understand, like, look, when we say that there is an issue with their gender, they should think like, okay, shit, maybe I should look at this for a bit because everyone seems to be happy with saying like, oh, women do this or women, like, I remember when was it? Um, it was a couple of years ago. You said something about how um, a male cartoonist was making fun of mothers being on their phones and blah, yada, yada, and saying like, oh, mothers now, they're always on social media. Like, they all make, he, he was making fun of the female gender, saying that like, oh, all women now obsessed with social media and don't pay attention to their kids. But then he doesn't have to say, oh, not all women do this though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why is it that they can and we can't? That was Michael Lernig. And it was, I think, earlier this year or late last year. As I said, time, it means nothing anymore. Yeah. Michael <laughs> Lernig is an aged, white, privileged, wealthy fucking cartoonist that has always had wind and smoke blown up his butt here ever since he, he started drawing. He probably has had very little to do with the direct raising of his children, like all men who have a strong opinion on women and how much time they spend on their phones. And he, he said this without any kind of, he's also anti-vax by the way. He said this without any kind of awareness of what it is women may be doing on those. It's another way to dismiss and discredit women in our engagement in the world. You know, a few weeks ago I had Florence given on my podcast and we were talking about the idea of women as influencers and the reason that men do so badly as influencers online is because no one wants to buy what they're selling as individuals. And the reason women who are influencers get so much hate and so much sexism poured on them is because they are the ones in control of the dollar. It's one thing when a corporation that's run by mostly men exploits and uses women's images to sell products to us. That's fine. That's, that's not meaningless or frivolous or trivial in any way. But when women take control over that, when they become the person that the dollar stops with, when women are in control of that because they're the product, all of a sudden it's trivial, it's frivolous, it's stupid, you know, all these silly women just posing on Instagram. Why is that? I mean, people really should ask what that internalized misogyny and external misogyny is all about. That it's fine when it's men making money, when it's corporations making money off of women's bodies and women's faces and women's selling power. But when women are like, you know what? I can be in control of this. I can sell myself. I can be the one that's the boss here. I can be the one that's making the money. All of a sudden it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's so weird. I, I first of all, I loved that interview with you did with Florence. That was such a great interview. And secondly, yes, it's ridiculous because for decades, big corporations have been like, say for say bikini, big corporations have been selling bikinis, like bikinis on women, on billboards, on um, advertisements, on like TV advertisements for decades. But then when it's a woman selling it herself, and it's a product, and normally it's a product that she loves and that she, that she actually is posting herself, doing all the marketing because let me tell you doing all that stuff that takes a lot of work you have to figure out the marketing take all the cameras yourself that normally anyone else does the work if it's a large corporation but then they get dissed on when they're working for themselves yet for decades corporations have been using women to sell bikinis it's just totally such a double standard anytime a woman wrestles control over her life and her narrative she's going to face backlash anytime because she's not meant to be in control of her life she's meant to seek a husband to be in control of her life for her. 
not just be in control of her life for her, but to validate her life. That unless, until the moment she finds a man to pick her, a man willing to marry her, a man who's going to say to the world, I love her enough to make her my live-in unpaid maid, then somehow her life is meaningless. And you have definitely spoken about on your Instagram stories and also in your book about how pop culture does push that narrative that you have to look for a husband. And if you get a husband, you're so lucky. You should be so grateful he chose you. And you have spoken about that yet in your book and also on your deep dive Instagram stories, which I love so much. You did that about the relationship with Ross and Rachel, which for some reason people just idolized. Um, What can you say then about why pop culture and TV, movie show, movies, play such an important part on influencing people that that's the quote unquote, the standard, the goals to seek out a man, to accept anything that he gives to you. Well, I mean, the very simple answer to that is that there's no easier way to control women than to make them think they can't be in control of themselves. And patriarchy has patriarchy needs women to be in service to it in order for it to survive, which is exactly why patriarchy and the history of patriarchy and pop culture's role in patriarchy has so strongly pushed the idea that true happiness for women lies in finding a single man to love her, that this will be her soulmate for the rest of her life, her best friend that she can grow old with. And until she finds that, she'll never be a fully realized, complete human being all by herself. When actually, as any woman who has strong friendships with other women can tell you, and who's also experienced the fucking indignity of having to live with a man, can tell you that true happiness lies within ourselves, not to sound like a fortune cookie, but true happiness lies within ourselves. And the strongest bonds of support we will ever get are from other fucking women. Patriarchy needs women to be separate from each other in order for it to survive. Patriarchy instills in men the bonds of brotherhood, the idea that men need to have each other's backs, that men need to circle the wagons, that you don't diss the boys, that you don't dog the boys, that you don't like violate the bro code, all of this stuff. Men have been indoctrinated and trained from birth basically to rely on other men and to fundamentally pledge allegiance to other men because this is them supporting and upholding patriarchy. Conversely, patriarchy needs women to be separate from each other in order for patriarchy to survive, in order for the power of men to survive, because only by operating as individual women's with, women within that system, seeking power as individuals within that system, can patriarchy possibly hope to disband the immense power that women can have when we work together. When women unlearn that and when women start to work together and when women understand the incredible source of strength and the incredible achievements that they can make by having solidarity with other women and by by having other women's lives to to operate as a mirror to their own so that we can see that what we've experienced is actually not okay and that it's not in our heads. That is when patriarchy becomes unstuck and that is why it needs us to remain separate from each other. If, if I can find 10 other women in a room that I can tell my story of um, harm done to me at the hands of patriarchy and have them say to me, oh my God, me too. That happened to me too. Oh my God, I always thought I was crazy but it happened to you too. Fuck, maybe the system's fucked. Then what happens? We start to unpick it at the seams. 
But it's so important for women to have solidarity with each other. That's why I'm so glad that in one of your deep dives, you recently did Beaches. And that just clearly shows that we do need more representation of healthy relationships between women. It doesn't always have to be about a woman searching for a man or fighting over a man or just having conversations about them all the bloody time. It can, like, that's why I'm so glad you did that deep dive on that. Yeah, and Beaches has historically over the last 30 years, 40 years or 30 years that it's been out, it's been completely derided and dismissed as saccharine and schmaltzy and a ridiculous, um, frivolous, everything that women like is frivolous. If you, have you ever noticed that? Everything mm-hmm. women like is frivolous. We gossip, we like stupid things, we care about ridiculous stuff that no one else likes. And when people say no one likes that, what they mean is men don't like that. And men have been positioned as being the center and we are the people who, we're the atoms that kind of um, revolve around the nucleus. I don't know if that's scientific. I'm just a girl. Um, (laughs) But everything we like is dumb and everything men like is cool and everything men like is smart. You know, men gossip about fucking sports all the time, but it's never seen as being... How many fucking sports radio shows do we need? Men just sitting there for hours talking about sports picks. Like that is, that is asinine stuff. But if they like it, fine. But no one ever says, oh, men love gossip, don't they? They love gossip. <laughs> men, love, men love ridiculous, pointless shit. No, because everything men like is great. One of the best examples of that is the ways in which the music that is traditionally or is predominantly loved by women is seen as, as like fundamentally bad. So pop music is associated with femininity. So pop music is shit. Pop music's shit. It's shit. Well, I don't like pop music. The ways that, that you see like men fucking falling over themselves to dismiss and discredit someone like Taylor Swift. Now I don't care if you personally like Taylor Swift's music or not, but to dismiss her as being like just some kind of pop floozy is a fucking insult to how hard she works for a start and to her, the control that she has over the music that she creates. You know, I've seen men since folklore came out talking about how like grudgingly talking about how it's a really good album. Yeah. Aaron did a really good job because she's famously had, you know, someone from the national work. So it's all him. They're allowed to like it now because a serious music man had a hand in it. So, so the other, the best example I can think of is the Beatles. The Beatles are, widely held up as being like the godfathers of pop or of like important, important music. The Beatles are the most important band of all time. Most important band of all time. The Beatles were fucking created by teenage girls. The Beatles would be nowhere and no one without the selling power, without the fandom of teenage girls. It was teenage girls who flocked in the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, certainly millions globally to welcome and receive the Beatles all over the world. Men wouldn't have fucking paid attention to the Beatles when they were just pop stars singing on TV. It was women who created the Beatles, but then men decided that the Beatles were making important music and then they claimed ownership over them. So the Beatles now is a man's band and that means it's okay to like them. But it's not okay to like One Direction because that's just a band for stupid, silly teenage girls. I couldn't agree more, especially with the One Direction thing, because yes, for years when One Direction was together, sad face, um, people were just like, oh, it's the girls. Oh, it's just the girls. Like, it's a boy band. 
they're teenage girls, obviously with a fundamental um, audience they were catering to, and that made them millions and millions of money. They need to, I don't understand how men don't understand that women have extraordinary buying power and what we they like. They do, they just don't respect it. They don't respect it. Exactly. They're happy to exploit it, but they won't respect it. Exactly. They just don't respect. They think that everything we like, as you said, is frivolous. Like, um, for example, chiclet, rom-coms. Like they think that's what, like all um, novels that are written by women, if they're um, a fiction book, they chiclet. Or if there's any sort of a romance in the movie, it's a rom-com and it's catered to women. Like I remember this year, um, my partner and I were getting so frustrated because there was these two movies that came out this year that were very much about female empowerment. There was the new Charlie's Angels movie. I don't know if that was this year or last year. Everything's just time yeah. doesn't time doesn't exist. But I remember the new Charlie's Angels movie came out and I was so happy with it. I'm just like, yes, they're not just used as these sex symbols. There was such an empowering movie, I thought. And the ratings, the men, the comments, they just demolish it. They thought it was a piece of shit, even though it was empowering and so many women loved it. The same thing with Birds of Prey. They were saying like, oh, no, it's not like the Harley Quinn and the other one because she's not sexy. And they dissed it as well, even though it was made for female audiences because it was badass. It had these badass hero villains. It's just... Not everything well, this, is for them. <laughs> it's just exactly uh, this is toxic masculinity. I mean, that's a great line from Camp Cope's song. You know, growing your hair, it's not for you. Yes. Um, this is the thing: is that th- this is toxic masculinity as well. And you know, m- the socialized idea of men is that the only purpose that a uh, you know quote unquote woman's thing would have for them is that they've got something hot to look at. Oh, if I've got to like consume this women's shit, then at least give me something to look at. It's so fucking disrespectful. And they all have the, the, the society that we live in has the fucking nerve to turn around and say that women hate men or that women, why do you hate men? When you're, when what women are doing, A, is saying we want to be treated with dignity and respect. We want to be recognized as equal human beings who contribute a fuckload of shit to this world, not least of which is the entire human race. But also this idea that like, you know, going back to that, why do you hate men? Why do you hate men? Again, I don't want to engage too much with it because it's a stupid, redundant question, but not only, you know, I'd like to add in addition to what Salma says about like the question is, should be, how can you stop hating men? Okay. Why do you hate men? It's not about whether or not you hate men. It's about the fact that you're allowed to like yourself. You're allowed to like yourself. You're allowed to think that the things that you like are meaningful and you're allowed to want to be recognized as an individual and broadly as a class of people as having meaning and having value to the world beyond just well, unless there's something good for me to look at and imagine sticking my dick into, then I don't, I don't see what the point of you is. And this is the thing that every single woman, even the ones who are the most official women of all time, the ones who are like, well, I've never experienced sexism because that's the, that's the fucking trade-off that they've made to try and navigate their way through the system. Every single woman has had an experience where they've been made to feel like, unless he wants to stick his dick in you, what's the fucking point of you? Mm-hmm. And exactly. to grow up with that knowledge is actually, once you start recognizing that and learning it, this is why 
This is also part of the reason why feminists are accused all the time of being so angry. Firstly, because anger in women is pathologized and an angry woman is a distasteful woman. And an angry woman is someone who says what she fucking thinks. And men and society and some other women do not like women who say what they fucking think because that's, we're backing out of our end of the deal. We're supposed to be nice and sweet and decorate the walls and make sure that men never feel in any way burdened by the power that they've stolen from us. But an angry woman is willing to to speak it. And that's why they turn around and say, well, you're just angry because no one wants to fuck you because everything is still rooted in this idea that the only purpose and point of women is for us to be, is to us, for us to sit there existing as something to be looked at and something to be, you know, claimed. And if a man don't want to fuck you, what's the point of you? (laughs) And I was just, I just get so frustrating frustrated when i hear men say oh you feminists you're always angry all the time it's just like look have you not seen yourself at a footy game i have seen grown adult men yell at complete strangers on the across the field at for no particular reason just because someone kicked a ball the wrong way even though they had they look like they never played sport in their entire life yet you're complaining about me being emotional or angry yet don't get me fucking started on AFL and NRL and how emotional men are over sports. It just makes no sense. Look, women, women are angry, but women aren't the ones killing men at a rate of one a week. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to talk about fucking anger. You want to talk about the power of anger and the impact, the actual negative damaging impact that anger has. And it's men's rage against women and it's men's rage against each other. Men who want to derail feminism and discussions of feminism always love to talk about well women do it too women hurt men too women can abuse too it's like yeah you know what they can and it's a minority because actually the biggest risk that men face in terms of violence and in terms of homicide is from other men and unlike women it's from men they don't know mm-hmm. so women's biggest risk women's biggest predator uh, is men that they know is men that they they operate in the same circles with and men it's walking down the street and some fucking drunk guy decides to punch him in the back of the head or start a fight with him or like slam him into the ground whatever it might be that is the power of men's rage the power of women's rage is getting shit done the power of women's rage is saying i will not put up with this anymore it's un it's it's removing the shackles that patriarchy has put on you and actually coming into your own and, and standing full flight, standing full height. Sorry. It's standing to your full height and it's taking full flight. That is the power of women's rage. The power of men's rage is destructive and the power of women's rage is instructive. Because I think one of the main reasons because of that is because at a young age, men are taught to suppress their emotions because if they show any side of weakness, any side of being sad, that is then yeah, shown as a sign of weakness, then they're not masculine. They're not a real man. So it's just so frustrating then that they then make fun of people being emotional or anything like that, just because they have been suppressed from ever showing their emotions. Yeah, exactly. But it's not, they haven't been suppressed from showing all of their emotions. They're allowed to show, as we said, they're allowed to show anger. They're allowed to show fear and fear often manifests as anger. They're allowed to show uh, lust, but if that lust is rejected, they're allowed to show anger. Um, what they're not allowed to show is complexity and they're not allowed to show softness and they're not allowed to show vulnerability. And I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, a trans man, 
who speaks, these are the words that he uses. He speaks of having an experience on both sides, both sides of the emotional spectrum um, and understanding in some way, uh, you know, understanding men because he is a man, but also because hormonally he's, he's kind of landscape has changed a bit, but also having the memory of thinking that he was something else and being socialized certainly as, as, you know, something else. And he said that actually women are afraid of men, but men are afraid of men too. And these are the conversations that we need to start having. And it made me think that one of the things I'm going to start saying to men now is if particularly if they're, if they insist that women are being ridiculous when we say that, you know, we feel afraid or that we're like demonizing all men, I'm no longer going to try and argue the point with them. Not that I've been trying for a while anyway, because it's meaning it's pointless. They don't listen. They don't want to listen. But I think I'm going to start saying, okay, cool. Have you ever been afraid of men? And if they say no, then you know that they're a liar because every man has been afraid of men. Men walking down the street by themselves are just as afraid in different ways of large groups of men, particularly large groups of rowdy men walking towards them as women are when it's just a single man and certainly when it's a large group of rowdy men. Men understand what it feels like to be afraid of men. And that means that at some level, they understand that men are a threat and that men as a group of people certainly become a threat. And they, if they can recognize that, if we can encourage them to recognize that, that this fear of men is not pathological and it's not irrational, it's not imaginary, that actually it's a, it's a, it's a logical response to the instinct that we have about the threats that certain men and certain groups of men pose to us, then perhaps they can understand that we are all fighting on the same side here. And the side is fighting for an unpacking of male power and male privilege in ways that clearly and demonstrably are harmful to almost all people, including the men who are wielding it. So in your book, you spoke about briefly about how you have a son and what, how has it been trying to raise him in this world where there is a lot of toxic masculinity and raise him so he doesn't have to feel like how, the, how other boys have been raised in the past? Like, like you said, they have to, the only emotions that he could show are the feminine type ones. Like how have you tried to raise him per se so he doesn't have to be um, influenced by toxic masculinity? I don't know. I don't know if I'm successful in that. All I can do, he's going to turn four on Monday and I'm aware that, um, I'm aware that this is the age for boys where they suddenly become incredibly susceptible to the socialization of their peers. And you can have a child in the most gender neutral, gender accepting, Uh, emotionally celebratory household and you can work with that child every day to learn those lessons but humans are pack animals and we are terrified of our peers discarding us or rejecting us or teasing us and children can be incredibly animalistic because of course they haven't developed certain parts of their brains yet but also they're learning I mean humans on the whole don't operate as individuals. Most of us are followers, not leaders. Most of us 
actually bend the knee to authority and we want to be told what to do and we want to be told how to behave. And when you are sort of swimming in a system that tells you that to succeed as a, as a boy first and then as a man is to bend the knee to the pack, bend the knee to the alpha and do what they tell you to do. That's really hard shit to unpack, you know? And so all I think I can do is continue to have the conversations with him to recognize that he may not be able to put them into practice every day when he goes out into the world, but that he will always have a place at home where he can talk about those issues and ask questions and be, be held and, and find some sense of unburdening from that pressure, but that also in as gentle and loving a way be have it made understood to him that that behavior is not acceptable and that true strength. And if you want to talk about like strong men or whatever, but true strength and true positive masculinity is in learning to navigate that system as best as you can for the good of all people and not just for yourself. And luckily he has a dad who is also probably not someone who on the face of it, he's not, he's not as likely to be targeted by, aggression in the street just because he's quite physically imposing. He has a look that for better or worse, you know, would be stereotyped by people as being, oh, well, I'm not going to fuck with that guy. But his internal landscape is very soft and very uh, like kind of un, he sort of doesn't really understand all of that masculine bullshit and doesn't like it. So very, you know, with any luck, He'll also have this, I mean, he definitely will have this um, example in his father, the most senior male figure in his life so far, to, of, of what masculinity can look like and what kind of man he can grow up to be. And I think that's really positive too. One thing that really infuriates me is whenever men are exposed, to, you know, young boys, say, for example, are exposed as having harassed women online or whatever it, may, it might be. And people always respond by saying, oh, someone should send this to his mother. Someone should send it to his wife, to his girlfriend. And look, I've done that in the past too. I get it. Because we want, we, the idea is that we want the women who live with them or who choose to love them to see what they're really capable of. But the thing is, those women probably know. These women probably know what their fucking son and brother and husband is capable of. And maybe they don't care. Maybe they think, well, that's other women. Because the other, the other way that women have been co-opted into patriarchy is by being made to believe that if we just play the role as we're meant to, that we'll be shielded from the worst of the harm. If we let men know that we're not a threat to them in any way, if we support and honour and respect their power, and say, actually, we like it. We like them having this power. I've never, I've never been subjected to sexism or patriarchy. I love them having this. I love men. I love this, blah, 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 blah. That if we do that and if we fulfill our role, that they'll, in a sea of women, say, well, she supports us, therefore we won't do it to her. Spoiler, they'll always fucking do it to you. And the true measure of your relationship with a man, whether or not he is your lover or whether or not he's your friend or your boss or whatever it is, any man who thinks he's a good man, the true measure of how he sees you is how he responds when you disagree with him. Mm. It's not when you like are blowing smoke up his butt because then he'll be like, oh, she's wonderful. Yeah, she's great. She's how women should be. Oh, my wife hates feminism. She thinks women like you are ridiculous. Really? How do you respond to your wife when she's telling you you're being ridiculous? 
Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yes, it definitely seems to be that way because it's the whole thing as well with the whole nice guy trope. They will be all lovely to you. And if you're lovely to them, they are, like reciprocate that. But then, yeah, if you show any sign of like calling them out um, if they're being um, discriminatory or if they're just being a jackass, then yeah, when you see their reaction to it and if it's very hostile, you're just like, oh, okay, that was all just, no, you cannot actually a nice guy if you're an asshole just because someone disagrees with you. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Clementine, for coming onto the pod today. I really, really do appreciate it, especially with everything going on with this bloody pandemic and with everything going on in Melbourne. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, actually. I love being given an opportunity to just rant for, you know, <laughs> endless stretches of time. I hope that <laughs> said have been, you know, galvanizing to your listeners. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Nasty Woman Club. If you are not already, which shame on you if you're not, make sure you follow Clementine Ford on her Instagram page. I also highly recommend you all check out her latest book, Boys Will Be Boys. That is the book that we mentioned several times in the podcast and that I recently finished reading. For more stories on intersectional feminism, make sure you check out thenastywomanclub.com and also check out the Nasty Woman Club on Facebook and Instagram. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and I will see you all next week for another episode of The Nasty Woman Club.